Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. It's just been an exciting time over these last seven weeks since we launched our first episode. And I'm happy to tell you that we are now in 10 countries. We've had nothing but positive feedback from our listeners. And I'm excited again. I know I say that every episode, but I am. I'm excited to introduce you to a wonderful lady that I've got to know know a little bit over the last year. Her name is Annie Goudreau. She is the president and founder of Vive Health and Wellness. This is a lady who has really honed the art and science of aging well. And Annie, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Deb. I'm also excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Well, I think it's quite timely given the the whole COVID-19, or should I just say 2020 thus far. Now, I know that your experience and your love is in the nutritional world. I know that you love to help, especially people in midlife. So I wanted to start with a question that I'm sure is on many people's minds is, COVID-19 has impacted so many people and we've seen it on TV and I know that you spoke on breakfast television about the quarantine 15. So that Mm -hmm. weight gain that people have had due to the uncertainty, remote working from home, boredom, emotional eating. I'd love for you to just chime in on that, Annie, and maybe give our listeners a couple of strategies. Well, it's been a really, really impactful time on people's health. And I think that this is one of the things that we don't realize is the impact that this has had, not just physically, but on our total body, you know, mind, emotional health, and physical health. So quarantine 15, as we, um, you know, we, we named it, um, is sadly a reflection of really being thrown in this state of, you know, heightened anxiety. So strategies for me, you know, really nutrition is only a small little part if you want, like if you think about the tip of the iceberg, it's only what you see above the water. What's really important is to look below the water. And I am a huge, huge proponent self um, first and foremost from an emotional standpoint because often what will happen is the the weight is not going to be as much of an issue because you're going to be able to address you know self-care so that means even with our restrictions i really encourage people to very much practice self-care whatever that means for them so a lot of what i call rejuvenation a lot of connection so to make sure that we feel grounded even within our state of anxiety when we know that you know we're reaching out we are 
acknowledging our needs, and it, that already uh, builds a little bit of resilience. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm a huge proponent of self-care. You and I both spend a lot of time in that space and helping people. And it is very personal and it mm -hmm. does look different for, for others. So thank you for sharing that. Now, I know that you share your journey about your childhood and your upbringing on your website and you use the, the phrase safe world. Can you give our listeners kind of an overview of your story and the meaning behind safe word, world, because I feel that that phrase is very relatable for a lot of people. And I also think at that time, the way I'm interpreting it is you were looking at that as a stature of your success. Oh, very much so. Great question. Um, very quickly, in terms of background, I came from an environment with a mother who suffered from a mental illness. And we, at the time, as you can imagine, and the listeners will probably be able to relate to this as well, is that mental illnesses back in the 70s were very much misunderstood. We are just starting to crack that nut at this point, you know, in early 21st century. So think about 50 years ago was a massive taboo and there were very, very little resources. So we grew up in an environment of, of, of uh, a lot of emotional instability and a great amount of shame because and everybody used to say, you know, like just pick yourself up, you know, and uh, get on with your life. And of course, we all know that it's much more complex than that. So it created an environment for me where I felt um, very much like I had no resources and I was left to fend for myself. And, you know, I am grateful today for um, what me and it, it brought me some resilience. And certainly I learned a lot about myself. On the flip side, it also created an environment where I believed that I could trust no one and that I had to build this fortress where if I did not engage emotionally, then I was safe. That was my safety. And what is better than throwing yourself into your career and become, you know, quotation marks successful in a, in a professional way while absolutely being disengaged from an emotional standpoint. It was all about just, this is going to be, this is going to ground me and it's going to allow me to feel that somewhere, somehow I have this purpose, even though of course I did not understand it that way, but also without compromising my emotions because I felt, I definitely felt threatened all the time, even though I did not know it. Well, I think a lot of people feel like that. And you're right. The, the term, the diagnosis, mental health, and, and, and the coupling of no coping strategies and, and not knowing. We didn't know what we didn't know back then. So cool. very, very interesting. So it's safe to say that the safe world led you to a burnout state. And it's interesting how now you have got yourself back in a healthy space and devoted your business to helping others now. 
Yes, and it, it, it came at a great price. I, I don't think I share this on the website, um, but I always say, you know, you have to reach the, a moment of, there's got to be enough pain for change to really come about. You know, you have to have reached a certain level where you go, this is, this is no longer serving me. Because for a long time, it was serving me. And I say this, you know, with, with a lot of love and a lot of compassion, but I, I, it, it destroyed, it destro I destroyed a lot of relationships and it came at a great personal cost. And eventually I, it came to a crisis where I recognized that this trade-off was no longer worth it. And I realized I need to take action to, oh, to basically understand what's happened to me so that I can move on with my life because I was definitely stuck and I was stuck in this, um, <laughs> in that safe world that I had created this falsehood because it was, it was definitely not serving me. And it was in the long run, really hurting me. And I had not even seen how much it was hurting me and hurting others. So through a process that also included realizing this career is not serving me. These relationships are not serving me. <clears throat> Excuse me. These techniques that I'm using in my life are not helping me. Excuse me. I'm just going to have some tea here. Well, and I think uh, our listeners will appreciate mm -hmm. your, your honesty and just the emotion that you're sharing from your heart. I think a lot of people born in the 60s, and you know our formidable years, including myself in the '70s, can mm -hmm. can relate to this. And and had you know we grew up with the dad worked, the mom was at home. And again, <laughs> I just don't think there was the coping strategy, and the mental health issues were there. And I think it left a lot of children with that parent who was who was unavailable. Mm -hmm. Very much so. <clears throat> I'm, I'm surprised, you know still to this day, the shame that surrounds people that are affected by mental illness, whether it's the person experiencing it, but how it reverberates to families and the community at large. Well, a hundred percent. And it's all in the way you choose to view it, perceive it, process it. We could do a whole other podcast on that, couldn't we? <laughs> yes. Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> so if you think about your childhood struggles and, and the loss that you experienced with your mom, and I know your brother as well, we have that yes. in common, by the way, how do oh. you think it contributed to your leadership today? It's made me so much more courageous because... I had to dig very deep when my brother took his life. Again, there was so much shame. I'll never forget this as we, we went through, of course, you know, funerals, et cetera. And I had lost my mom. So I, I had been to family falls and I knew overall, you know, what, what the overall sentiment would be, but nothing to this day. Um, equates the sentiment and the feelings that were around my brother's passing. And 
I refused to go there. I refused to feel shame. Now, I felt a lot of pain, but I really felt the same emotions as if he, any other causes would have you know, created his, his death. And um, so it brought me a lot of courage because I thought, this is my time to really rise. It was very much the beginning of my awakening and seeing that there was a lot more to me than what I had given myself credit for. And honesty to talk about what had happened, it was truly, you know, the, a critical moment. Well, I can only imagine, and it's, I'm sure you're looking back at it now with maturity and wisdom and the support that you've had. And I think it, it brings up a really good question that uh, I wanted to, I didn't even plan to talk about, but I think it's, it's, it's worth a conversation. Grief is such a big, big monster. Mm. And I think grief, I've heard it defined in many different ways, but I think my favorite definition is it's love that doesn't have a place to go. So that's beautiful. Share with the listeners the longest distance is getting from grief to mourning and you can't rush it or it'll just put you back to the beginning. (laughs) What strategies did you think? And I know self-care is a big proponent as well for you. How do you think you moved from grief to mourning? I, I had to go back to my own experience with mental illness per se, having been part of my life because it was the root cause of, of everything that I was experiencing. So I had to go through and acknowledge what were the emotions that were involved. So what was my shame, my anger, um, um, a lot of my frustration. There were so many feelings. I felt like a, a, a little bit of the, the person that gets into the ring, you know, the boxing ring. And, you know, I'd hit a, I'd hit a couple punches and I thought, you know, I'd be done. And then I'd be like, no, I think there's a little bit more. And then there was a little bit more. Um, I, I was struck by how much and how deep there were of emotions that I had, A, I did not know were there or that I had suppressed or that I had um, pretended were different emotions. So I would shrug my shoulders, for example, in the past, and I would say, ah, you know, we did not know better, right? I'd have these oversimplistic explanations while, of course, deeper, that was not the truth. The truth was that I was deeply, uh, you know, in pain. I, I felt guilty because I couldn't do more, all these things. So my process had to be, I need to feel everything that I need to feel. And that was scary as hell because I felt, oh my God, here I am in my forties and I'm going to have to feel these things that have been 20 years suppressed 
oh my Lord, this is going to be awful. And, you know, I think that it ties back to your previous question about, you know, how does this make me a more courageous leader? I think that when you descend into these types of emotions and feel them, I think that you see that one isn't, doesn't kill you. There's pain, there's sadness, there's all kinds of things, but they're all things that I'm capable of handling because I did, because I had to. My father used to say, um, some people take some interesting actions that we don't understand, but what deeply what they're doing is they're having to save themselves. And that's what I had to do. Otherwise, I was going to be consumed by this grief. And I saw it in, and I still see it in my family. This is not a subject that is easily discussed. With well, them, I mean. Yeah, I think grief is, it's a monster topic. And like you said, you have to, you have to move through the cycles. You have to acknowledge the emotion and, and you have to be willing to really lean in and feel. And it's personal and different. Mm -hmm. And self-care is, is one of the biggest proponents and to do it without guilt or perception is probably the hardest task and the hardest strategy to really initialize to start the grieving process. Very much so. And I, I think that a great place to start is a place of compassion, not towards others, towards yourself, that it's going to be messy. And it is not going to be a straight road. And, but that you're going to allow yourself, you know, to, to be who you are and to feel that what you need to feel and to get to the level of vulnerability that you need to. And in order for that to happen, you need a lot of compassion. Well, and compassion's the foundation of self-care and hence my tagline, self-care is not selfish. And a lot of people have guilt to take that time. So thank you for sharing. What imperfection do you possess that you feel has greatly contributed to your heart-centered leadership today? Oh, recognizing that I've made so many mistakes and that I did not come from necessarily a bad place but I came from a place of, I'll say, ignorance combined with, you know, survival. Therefore, I have a lot of compassion for others. And I believe that makes me a heart-centered person. Now, that was not the case before. But with, you know, with the work that I've done, I definitely see that that's, that's probably a biggest trait is to realize how how imperfect I, I am and how, you know, that is, that is part of humanity. I do think it's part of humanity, but it's definitely the catalyst of why this podcast was born because mm. it goes back to how you felt in your thirties. Success was look at, was, you know, viewed as stature and, exhaustion and nonstop and doing and doing and doing and not allowing ourselves to be 
yes. it, it lands up leaving you in a bad place, whether it's illness on a physical level, emotional level, uh, holistically, if you will. And I think that's a huge shift that people have made, continue to make, and imperfection has to reside because perfection is non-existent. And it's interesting because I see in my practice, so, and I, as you know, I, I support women's health. I see this, um, uh, this goal that women have of this perfect health. I must, I must have the perfect week where I eat perfectly and I, I am active and everything is perfect and in my control. It's really, really interesting. I think this is deeply rooted in our society is like constantly working through this uh, with them to understand that, you know, we're living in the gray and it's within this gray that we have to make the best choices possible at the moment, but they're not always going to be the same. And having the flexibility and the know-how and just that passion to, to move forward with that. That's beautiful. Now, I know you have the six pillars of healthy aging, and I, I love the World Health Organization. It's, it's uh, a global organization I looked up to when I was case managing, and they define healthy aging as the process of developing and maintaining the functional ability that enables well-being in older age. So functional ability is having those capabilities that will enable all people to be and do what they have reason to value. So mm. in your personal and professional opinion, what do you think constitutes healthy aging? It's to, you know, for me, it's been the, the opportunity as a human being to do and express who you are into all dimensions of your life until the day you die. I need to be able to enjoy my life, whether it's having the physical capacity, having the emotional capacity, having the social connections required to be able to be experiencing joy and fulfillment and purpose until the day literally, that you die. You know, it's the difference between lifespan and health span. We're so focused on the number as opposed to focusing on the quality of life, i.e., you know, the health span. That capacity to be able to enjoy life without chronic disease and without debilitating illnesses so that you can enjoy your life. Well, and it goes back to the point that seems to be the recurring theme here for our conversation is, as a volunteer at hospice, I've met people as young as 18 and people as old as in their 90s. And at the end of life, to sit with someone and hold their hand is an honor and a privilege. Mm -hmm. And the two things that I always hear repetitively is speak your mind and live your truth. 
I cannot tell you how many times I have heard that from men and women of all different ages at the end of life, because when we don't live our life and speak our truth, I think that there's that dis-ease that evolves in the body. There's, there's unspoken emotion. And I just, as a yoga teacher and a health professional like you, it's something that I can't convey enough to people. And I know it's so hard for so many people. And we want to be that preventionist and not the generalist and, and help people before they get to that stage in life where they're given the diagnosis or they've become unhealthy. And I think that's the relatability that you bring to your practice that I also bring. And I think there's many other people out there. So I'm hoping this conversation will, will resonate with the listeners because you do want to be functional and have that ability to be healthy, especially in the mid years, which I know you focus on beautifully in your practice. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you're really, you know, defuncting the myths of aging because there's many, many 60, 70, 80, 90 centurions, people are living longer and being happy is easy and it doesn't cost anything. Correct. And And there are, Sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say you touched on the the myths of aging. There are so many misunderstood aspects of what aging can be and should be, um, even though we're not one size fits all, but that ability to be happy and to um, find fulfillment later in life is, is missed because we are served a platter of lies. Well, I love that. Served a platter of lies. That's not inviting, is it? <laughs> no. You see, I'm, I love food. So many of my metaphors are food related. <laughs> well, I love that. I want to uh, end the podcast with what I call the Fab Four. These are just four fun questions. And just let me know what's just sitting on the top of your mind, Annie. The first one is, what color are you drawn to? And why? Purple. Purple. It's a happy color. It's an intriguing color. And um, it has fantastic energy. I love that. I'm I'm a big fan of purple too. I think it's hard to pick one color. Yes. My second question is, what is your favorite memory and why? Well, favorite. Well, I would say one of my favorite memories, perhaps, um, would be when I completed my first Ironman. And this was a a very big achievement from an athletic standpoint. However, it was a much bigger achievement from a mental standpoint, which people don't realize. But it's it's the mental aspect that was um, much stronger. And I was surrounded by what I believe is one of the best groups of people I've ever been with. And I, I felt part of this incredible community. And, and I discovered that I had been a role model to my nieces who saw what I had accomplished. And of course, to them, I was so old. 
<laughs> and I became this beautiful role model to them. And this is, um, this is something that makes me so, so happy. Well, that's, that's a beautiful example and, and experience and congratulations. My third question is, what are you enjoying the most at midlife? Oh, I am so happy. I'm much happier than I've ever been. I think it goes back to your uh, um, live your truth. I'm living my truth now. Well, that's a wonderful place to be. Mm -hmm. So my last question is, what will Annie be doing in her elder years? I'm going to be writing more. I am um, going to be surrounded by a bunch of fantastic friends. And we are going to be having more adventures. We're going to be traveling, exploring, cycling trips. Um, that's what I foresee. Well, that sounds like an exciting life. And, and like you, I, I tell my kids that I, I want to at least be 100. So here's, oh. here's to phase two. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for uh, sharing this space with me this morning on the Imperfect Podcast. And I just want to wish you well in, in your journey and in your business. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a real honor to be able to speak about this and for you to allow this space for this to take place. Thank you. My pleasure. I like to end my podcast with my favorite five things. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you for joining me once again on Imperfect the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.